0: Welcome to Triple Threat, the podcast with Jamel President, where it's good news and good vibes all the time, baby. When we left for the guy to come play with you and your system, Jamel, it was the best thing for Shane because you, you, you pushed him to do other things outside his box. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month. Hey, what's up, guys? Coming up next, we got Natasha Visser. And In our interview, we talk about the different impulses, how the mind is so important to game preparation, how we as players think about anxiety and how we relate to being active. Um, very good interview. And we can also use those same approaches in life as well. So can't wait to let you hear it. Let's get into the interview. Thanks for coming on, you know, and, um, I think when we first talked our first two seasons, we mainly focused on different things as far as, as far as the athletes concerned, but um, in this past you know six seven months, I've really started to go into the mental aspect of the athlete, right and um I'm in school, finishing up my degree, not degree, I'm getting a certificate in counseling to so have more um awareness of what I'm talking about, and um what I came across was uh this terminology called social competence. And um, I'll give a brief definition. Social competence consists of social, emotional, emotional cognitive and behavioral skills needed for successful social adaptation, right? Mm-hmm. Social competence also reflects having the ability to take another perspective concerning the situation, learn from past experiences and apply that learning to the changes in life. And I thought that was awesome when it comes to Student athletes and dealing with teammates, dealing with coaches, dealing with parents right and um so I wanted to talk to professionals about what what they do and how their social competency or even competencies relate to their delivery so that's kind of the the subject of what we you know is, is are, are talking about. Currently.
1: Fantastic! It's a wonderful topic, and especially we're working with the youth. Um, they're still learning, and and we think that they just naturally know. And obviously, it's a skill that we can exactly. help our teenagers and our younger kids, our tweens, with, uh, especially on the sports field and in the family. Yes,
0: exactly. <laughs> so, what I wanted to do before you you, you uh, add your um your your uh, things that you want to talk about is go through some of the services that you require that you do and kind of relate them to competency in athletics, right? And the first one to start with is um an overwhelmed teenager, right? You figure yes. in a game where kids are making mistakes and can't figure out the plays or can't communicate with a coach, how would that look in a – how would you talk to someone that's overwhelmed um when it comes to sports? What will be some of your approaches to that?
1: Yes, so uh, especially when I talk now to the coach or when I see the child is overwhelmed, okay, we first, our first instinct as coaches parents, counselors, coaches <laughs> is to stop the overwhelm, to stop the meltdown you know, maybe they are, I had this other kid the other day in a hockey tournament and he got really frustrated, he was throwing his stick and he actually was an embarrassment to the rest of the team okay, because right. he um, the rest of the team gets penalized if the, you know, obviously if he gets a card and stuff and he's really he threw his stick and he was 10 minutes off and immediately the coach went to him and to stop the overwhelm, stop the meltdown. And actually, at home especially, I would encourage parents, is not to immediately start to think that we need to stop the overwhelm, all right? It's let's just let the child feel Mm. the emotion, all right? Because that is not the coachable moment when he is in overwhelm and um, i know it's maybe embarrassment and all of that but he's not going to hear or she's not going to hear what you're saying all right so we want to actually give our kids and our teenagers tools to handle the overwhelm all right in the moment but actually if they have the tools beforehand they are better equipped in the moment and what a better place to practice that when they are at home Okay.
0: Exactly. exactly.
1: Yes. Or in the coaching, uh, when they are still in practice, you know, when the coach practice with them, you know, when somebody angers them or something like that. Okay. So normally I tell this story. Can I tell a story? Sure. This is how I teach sure. the kids. So I'm yeah. going to start with a story. Yeah. Uh, this is how I coach them. So we had a, a little Beetle uh, car, you know, the, um, the Volkswagen Beetle. You guys yeah. know what that, yeah. Yeah. that yeah. Old one, but the hippies drove. Yeah. All right. So we and my brother and sister and I I was the I'm the middle child. Uh, we were dailies going to university um, when I was young, and we would drive drive this little beetle car to university and back. Right. Now this car was old, but it's a little red one. Uh, it was actually a lot of fun to drive it, but. It's, um, fuel gauge didn't work. It got mm-hmm. stuck somewhere in the mm-hmm. middle and the light was always on. <laughs> all right. And above all that, now, you know, Jamal, I'm, I'm in South Africa. So it's Africa weather. It's hot. Okay. Right. Um, and the heater of this car was on all the time. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> as we were driving to university back, you can imagine it was a challenge, but let's talk about this fuel gauge. All right. So we counted to the university and back. We could drive three times, and after three times, we need to feel uh, put in fuel. Otherwise, we get stuck next to the road. All right. Mm -hmm. So you can imagine I was in a state of anxiety all the time. I was the middle child, and my younger brother – he was like a free spirit. He's an artist. So he didn't, he's not so structured. So a lot of times he forgot to let us know. He already drove one or twice. Yeah. So needless to say, I got stuck next to the road a few times in my university career. So is that fuel gauge a good thing to have? Do you think a car should have a working one? Would yeah. you agree? Yes. Yes. Obviously, we need a fuel gauge, all right? So if the car doesn't have that, we are in constant fear or anxiety. I can tell you I had that experience. So it tells us what's going on. Now, let's use that analogy and think about our bodies as young people and even us as adults. Our bodies is the car and our emotions Mm. is the little light, Mm. the fuel gauge. The check the engine light, check mm. the oil, check the water, all right? Now, what we tend to do, what I say, with the, like uh, just to confirm what I said, we just tend to stop the overwhelm, is we want to stop the light from going on. Mm. And that doesn't really make sense, because if we don't have a light, we don't know what's going on in the car. If we don't have that petrol or fuel light, I think you guys call it fuel, then, or if we just ignore it, tell it, just pull yourself together, be strong, focus mm. on the game. All right, it's like ignoring that light, and what happens then? If we ignore the light, we get stuck next to the road, mm. or we get overwhelmed that word, or a mental meltdown, or an mm. angry outburst. Because we ignore the light, and now we get stuck next to the road, or whatever happens. Right. When we teach our children how to that that emotions is a helpful tool. It's a little light that tells us. What is going on in my body? What's going on in the environment? And what does that tell me? So every emotion has a helpful purpose, Mm. a very specific purpose. So if your fuel light goes on, what do you do? Do you go in a panic state? Do you drive up to to the point where there's no fuel? Or do you go and put in some fuel immediately? What do you do?
0: (laughs) I would put in some fuel immediately.
1: Immediately, okay.
0: Just on on a natural response, yeah.
1: Is that a natural response? Okay, so you are in high alert, seeing where the fuel station, uh, how close is the nearest one, and then when you put in the fuel, do you focus on the light or the gauge, or do you just go on driving?
0: I think you forget about it and just go on driving.
1: Yes. So the thing is, we focus so much on the light, the emotion, Mm. we don't go into action and say, what is this emotion telling me? Don't put in feel. Mm. So typically a depressed child, now I don't want to vocal diagnosable depression, let's just call it general sadness, no. not a mental disorder, depression or something like that. But let's say we are a little bit fearful for the moment of the game, or we feel sad and overwhelmed and maybe something bad happened at, at home and now they need to play the game. Right. That emotion is telling us what action we need to take. Now, specifically sadness or uh, depression, but let's use it sadness rather. When a child feels sad, it actually tells us something is happening that's overwhelming. All right. And we need to stop and maybe grieve. Stop and maybe focus on that before we just say ignore it and move on. Anxiety is telling me perhaps something important is happening. All right. And I need to be alert. And that's a good thing, especially in a sporting environment. They need to be alert and um and want to be activated. John called it activated.
0: Activated, yes, it's like that. Yeah.
1: But if we are anxious and it becomes like a panic attack, that means we were not activated, that means we ignored the activation mm-hmm. and went and went and get stuck next to the road, like my analogy is sharing. Mm. So every emotion has a helpful purpose. So when we start stopping and saying, what does this emotion tell me? We can empower our children, not just to cope with the overwhelm. It's actually deal with what it is telling us, this emotion. And then the light goes off and then we can focus on the task at hand. Now let's talk about that kid that was so angry that was yeah. throwing actually what happened in this hockey game is the other team was extremely aggressive and they actually each time when they were in a a place where they were a little bit off from the ref I don't know how they did it but Mm -hmm. anyway there was a big kid and a small kid it was a little bit intimidation going on there he was hitting his stick away from the ball so it was actually illegal what they do but Every time he was say uh, screaming no, they were um, uh, blowing against him. So it was actually unfair. All right. So and he got angry and angry. And the, we taught our kids don't get angry on the field. They're going to blow against you. So he's holding it in. Mm. Now if we were uh, we coached him, if we had coached him beforehand, all right, and said, listen, if something goes wrong, if somebody is violating the rules of the game or violating you as a person, hit you in the face. Anger is telling us somebody is coming into your space that is not correct. Mm -hmm. And anger is telling us let's push them or not shove them or hit them, but let's put down a boundary and say this is not okay. This is not the rules of the game. So actually what we needed to do is to tell this uh, or coach this this young boy to say, listen, stop the game or whatever when the uh, referee blew because he did blew the whistle a few times in a calm manner he can say listen this is what's happening but he didn't do that because he tried to undermine the anger, override the anger Mm. because anger is bad anger is not bad anger is telling us what is going on, if he did that Then the anger would go away and actually would enjoy the game. So our emotions, especially emotional intelligence when it comes to social competency, is to teach our children that our emotions is actually a very helpful tool. It's not our enemy.
0: (laughs) Right. And and what I'm listening, what I'm hearing too, is that not only the individual that's going that's driving a car having to worry about the light, you guys want the passenger have to know how to deal or approach those situations thing about a parent with the kid. So when a kid coming out and had a bad game, you know, I tell parents when the kids get in, get in the car, do not ask any questions. Don't ask <laughs> them how the game went, how they're mm. bad, all good. Just let them bring that energy to them. And that's exactly what you're talking about. Like, don't, don't try to stop the light, right? Don't try to cut the light off. Just let the mm. light identify what the light is and get action um, thoughts on how to, how to, how to approach that. And this time, message, we got Chris Evans. You know, I was, I was a shooter and I really couldn't get by. I could handle it, but I, not like you, I couldn't get by people. Right. I wasn't quick enough. And, uh, so that changed the, the arc of my career there. And, um, and I, and I just kept playing. Some of us, Mel, uh especially you know people with <laughs> slow weak people like me uh, we end up coming into our own a little bit
1: by the time we're 22 23 right. 24 it's almost right. after college right. and, uh, and that's kind of when when i hit the, the apex of, of my talent i think and i ended up going over to ireland and playing two seasons in ireland and uh, and putting
0: up 50 some games
2: right. <laughs>
0: Now, let's get back to the interview.
1: Yes, and and what we tend to do, I had that exact same experience with my daughter, all right. And this is where us as parents can show our children emotional intelligence, how to cope in hard situations. All right. Because uh, it's not our place to make them feel better. That's what we want um, to do. Exactly. When they are overwhelmed, we want to stop the overwhelm. Mm. And that's not our job. All right. Our job is to be there for them in the gladness or in the pain. So, and maybe I can tell you the story because it's really personal. Um, I've got two kids that's very uh, active in the sporting environment. Now, my daughter, she was really excited. It was a few years ago. It was her first hockey game and she was really excited to go and play. Now, as you know, with the stronger team, um, sometimes the people that play at the back in a strong team obviously don't touch uh, or don't uh, are not part of the game. so much, because their team was strong, so my daughter's team was really strong against the other team, and she was at the back, so she only touched the ball twice in that game mm. <laughs> so she she was really disappointing, so in forty five minutes, touching the ball twice, I mean that's disappointing.
2: Right.
1: So, <laughs> We were getting in the car, and she was crying. She no. was really upset. She said, I'm not playing this stupid game ever again. No, no. <laughs> like a Typical 10-year-old. Anyway, so as we were driving, um, and I would give you – actually, this is another t- tool that I will give you for your toolbox. But before I go there, as we were driving, I was first just being there. I was quiet. And I was just sitting there with her and didn't try to cheer her up. Because that's what we, like you say, the passionate. We want to cheer them up, make them feel better. That's not so bad. Okay? So she was sitting and crying, and I gave her a little while. And then suddenly she started laughing. And I thought, Mm. oh, my goodness, there's something wrong with my daughter. (laughs) Mm. (laughs) Now, she used one of the tools that I coached her on, because I am a coach, I coached her on the gratitude exercise, okay? And every parent that's here listening and coach, we want the gratitude exercise to be a natural part of our lives, okay? Oh. But what we do is we tend to, when I ask you, um, what are you grateful for? What would you typically say?
0: Life. Um, my family. um Your house. Know, health yeah exactly
1: or something maybe if the team has won you would say i'm so grateful the team has won all right Right. we tend to be grateful for the things that we already have Mm. okay but that's not truly gratitude Mm. We need to learn how to be grateful in hard things what can we be grateful for if we have lost the game Alright?
2: right? Mm. What
1: can we be grateful for in that? So what we do is we like peeling back our onion. We open up the problem and find something in the problem to be grateful for. Mm. So I taught this to my kids. So how we play the game is when we are at dinner table every night, we would share our high and low. Like what was good about the day? What was bad about the day? And then find something to be thankful for, grateful for in the bad thing. Alright? Yeah. So she got a lot of practice in that. So um, we were driving and as I said, she started laughing. And I didn't realize, but she used one of the tools that I taught her as an emotional intelligent little girl. And she struggled with she only touched the ball twice in that game. And when she touch the ball or play the ball twice. Because you know what? The goalie didn't even get to touch the ball once.
2: Mm.
1: Mm. <laughs> now, it took a while to get there. Now, the poor goalie, I feel bad for her. <laughs> but it's, uh, without me t- trying to make her feel better, I taught her g- skills and gave her tools to be grateful even in the pain. Now, you are a coach and you know, when we are struggling with our kids, when it's sports uh, or whatever activity they are busy with, it's in the hard things that we learn to improve. Exactly. It's in push-ups that gives us pain. It's in that dribb- dribbles that we do over and over and over again. That's where we learn. We learn in the pain. We don't learn in the
2: Pleasure. really when we. Right. Okay. Right.
1: So that needs to be a second nature or a second part of our lives to teach our children these types of skills so that when they are overwhelmed in that overwhelmed, we are with them and then they can go and find the skills that we taught them in other days where they are all there and present to use that. Okay. So, and it takes some effort and time for parents and coaches to help our kids get there. That's that's, (laughs) right. Yeah,
0: you're right. That's, that's a great. That's great, um, wisdom. And I just had to talk to one of my players. He's not really that athletic. And he was telling his, his mom that, Hey, look, um, I don't know if I want to do this because I, I suck at this. So I said, well, let me talk to him for a second. So I, I gave him kind of the, the gratitude effect of what you want to call it. And I'm surprised that I'll be doing these things, but it ain't, I don't have no terminology to match to it. And I'm glad that you're helping me, helping me with that. But I told him, I said, Some kids grow. Some kids go from two to five in six months. Some kids Mm -hmm. go from two to five in eight months. But guess what? You still went two to five. And he was like, Oh, yeah. You know. Mm -hmm. So don't 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 compare your growth, you know, success to someone else. Your your growth success is yours. So I had to have him identify that and see where the, you know, what he's being grateful for. About in the times of of pain, he thought that wasn't he wasn't doing as well. And he was really doing a great job.
1: He's re- and it's how our kids compare themselves. Um, my personal coach, Doctor Paul, he uh, always say, compare to what? For us, uh, say for example, for a uh, 11th grader, all right, or, or let's go a little bit younger, a sixth grader, a a person that's a six, a child that's a sixth grader, a 11th grade a pupil is like the expert. He's so clever. But for a sixth grader, a, se- a first grader, a sixth grader is the expert. Mm. So compare to what? So we all are in our journey and how do we compare? And that's what you've done then. All right. 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 But what we tend to do as parents, we go immediately, if our ch- children feel overwhelmed or tired and I'm not doing this in, anymore. All right. We tend to say, okay, now now they never want to play again. Now, I like using the acronym HALT, H-A-L-T, HALT, like stop, okay? Mm-hmm. And this is what I would tell parents, okay? HALT stands for angry, uh, hungry, angry, lonely, or tired, all right? Mm-hmm. And we teach this for our kids as well. Are they hung- hungry, angry, lonely, or tired? So maybe that uh um, child you were just talking about, maybe he was tired that day. Mm-hmm. Now he, our children's minds, especially ten-year-olds, teenage years, those—they in the street in extremes. They are all all in or all out. There's no in between. So when they don't succeed, they're out. Right. So there's no middle way. But most of the time, if, in, if we are intelligent as uh, parents, we can just in, uh, cry a halt. Hungry, angry, lonely, or tired. Hmm. Maybe he is hungry. Maybe he is tired. How long did he practice? All yeah, right. Right. And sometimes loneliness, especially with teenagers, how are they um, adapting in the group of the uh, of the team? Right. right. Maybe he feels like the only one that can't get that move or that shot or that what exercise they need to do right, and he feels like a failure. Right. So maybe he needs that little attention that you gave, and you address that loneliness. Yes. And he can move on. But we tend to then focus on, he said he's going to stop. But actually, there's more to that. The only way our teenagers have the ability to express is I'm in or out. I'm good or bad. Right. That's right. We right. won, we lost. Right. It's not that- learned from this lost. So we need to help them to adapt and see we learn from these things. It's not that I need to stop because I'm not perfect all the time.
0: <laughs> Great point. So let's go to the next one. Um, yeah. reducing anxiety and stress when you're dealing with your clients, um, mm-hmm. particularly with life lessons, I think you, and you, t- you also do with athletes as well. are some of your approaches that you do when you trying to release, I mean, uh, reduce the anxiety and, and, and stress.
1: Okay. So uh, we need to understand anxiety and stress, how it works, all right? And you probably have a few co- other people told you this, but this is Psychology 101. Okay. And that's all about our limbic system, our fight and flight system, okay? So it's fight, flight, or freeze, all right? Now, our limbic system is the, a, a small little part in the middle of our brain, okay? If so I have our two lobes together like this. So if it's our thumb, if you close your fist like this, this is your limbic system, all right? Okay. Now, your limbic system, system is a little bit dumb You <laughs> can say like <laughs> inverted commas so uh, I'm in Africa and I'm going to use another analogy all right and right. if I walk in in the Kruger National Park okay that's where the wildlife is here in Africa okay and I walk in the Kruger and it's dangerous there's the big five animals there can be lions all right and all of that And I walk and I see a thorn bush moves. We have a lot of thorn bushes here, okay? And we see a bush move, all right? My dumb limbic system Mm -hmm. is going to go into fight, fight, or freeze. It's going to activate, okay? Because it's going to say there's a lion. But then a little bunny jumps out. Mm. (laughs) So, oh, it's just a bunny, but the bush that moved... Activated my stress, my anxiety. All right, Mm -hmm. so that anxiety, my limbic system can't discern between a perceived danger and an actual danger. Mm -hmm. He just sees the bushes moving, so I get the same response. Or my body already reacted to the bunny jumping out, the bush that is moving, or a lion is coming at me. The Mm -hmm. same reaction I'm getting. So what? Now we're not now. That's still our old limbic system. Our ancient system that is still in our body now when our children are um on the sport field and especially our younger kids they get accepted as friends they are accepted by their parents their coaches now remember as a a people that are part of community community is important if you are in the wild and you are the little envelope all alone there in a corner the lion is going to get you community Mm. means safety Mm. but if your child is in this team and he's the outcast or he missed that final shot that could make the team to win his fight and flight are activated Mm. because it means he can die (laughs) Mm. that is uh, what anxiety is all about so his brain is seeing this as danger a lion is chasing us now you brilliantly coach your, uh, your team And they know where to play and how to make their shots and all of that. But when you are running away from a lion, are you going to remember the best corner to stand in to make your shot or how to hold the ball or Mm. whatever technique they need? We're not thinking about that. No. We just know a lion is attacking us. I'm alone here. This is dangerous. Right. So why do not kids tend to go in and we as adults as well? Fight, flight, or freeze. So that boy that I I explained just now about the hockey – He went into fighting mode. Yes. Because the the team was getting angry and it was keep on blowing against him. And he was angry. Flea, I had this other game that I watched at the same team. The uh, the goalie, he played dead. (laughs) (laughs) There was a shot. I was actually standing at the corner when the shot was made. And he was like just. Uh, after this he missed a shot and it was a really bad shot that he missed (laughs) and he was falling there on the ground and he was making as if he was really sore but I think it was but it wasn't that bad so they actually carried him off with a stretcher from the field
0: No. and when
1: he was sitting there it wasn't so bad but he was so fearful of the danger that anxiety overwhelmed him so much it was safer to play dead for him all right so I think I over explained but that's what our limbic system does right now what we Need to do and help our kids on with when they are in anxious state. We need to help them to regulate this and tell the limbic system, calm down. It's actually a bunny. It's I'm not in the wild because they're not in the uh, wild. They're not in the bush. Okay, it's right. not dangerous. We want to be activated by our anxiety, meaning I'm alert. This is important, but we don't want it to overwhelm us so that we are paralyzed and play dead or um, go into fighting mode. So how do we do that? I'm going to give all your uh, listeners an extra uh, homework. Yes. Every coach needs to do this with their, with their kids, okay?
0: This is Happy Bird, Berg, Michael Bird's mom. Um, she given give us a little feedback about the training and the day Foundation. Um, Happy, was training beneficial for Mike? And so... Why?
2: I didn't have any idea of how to, you know, to approach coaches, or how to do anything about, you know, creating an opportunity for Michael to play in college. So Jermel just guided us through this uh, college recruiting process for over two years, and he started first by um, having us create a list of 20 colleges based on academics first, uh, basketball, and then location. And uh, from this, uh, Jamel also taught us how to talk to coaches, how to create a highlight video, choose game videos for coaches to, to look at. And also, the most important thing was how to create opportunities for coaches to see Michael play. And from this process, Michael was given several choices. And he, he chose Erskine, which is the best fit for him academically in basketball.
0: Now, let's get back to the interview.
1: I call it three times three lazy eight. Three, three, eight. okay? So every day, you're going to do three breathing exercises three times a day, and it's going to be in a lazy eight. So imagine an eight lying on its side, a lazy mm. eight.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So we start in the middle of, our, of the eight, and we're going to breathe in through our nose, making our chest full of air, Stop in the middle, hold for four seconds or five, and then breathe out, closing the other side of the circle, slowly through the mouth, compressed air. All right. Mm-hmm. That's one. So can you see three lazy eights mm-hmm. in the morning, in the evening, in the afternoon. All right. Three times a day. What did this, what does this do? It, it helps us limbic system to calm down. Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm. So our brain is a muscle, the same like our calves or any other muscle in our body. All right. Now, how do you exercise your tummy muscles or your thighs, squats and all of that? You work Now, on. if your team is going to go and play, you're going to tell them every day we do ten push-ups or squats or whatever exercise they need for their um, game. All right. But on game day, you're not going to tell them to do squats. No. <laughs> whatever. On game day, they are ready. They exercise their squats. Now, this is the same with our brain. Having our brain exercise our muscle three Mm -hmm. times a day, three lazy eights every day, we teach our limbic system, our muscle, to be strong. Mm -hmm. So on game day, we don't go into anxiety or panic state. Mm -hmm. We just go into alert state. Mm. So it teaches our brain. So if you have a, a, a anxiety state very high, all right, we just bring it down to a lower level so that you don't go into panic mode. We actually go in activation and focus mode. We underestimate how important this is because we need to tell our brain that we are not in danger. And the only way to do that, okay, is to train our brain so we won't do that only. So a lot of people would say, okay, breathe now. It's okay, breathe now. Yes, maybe we need some stretches stretches when we are warming up for the game with breathing. But we need to have a healthy mind all through the time as we exercise. So I would really encourage parents, um, teachers, coaches, everybody to help our teenagers and ourselves to calm that limbic system down.
0: And there again, you identified what we call is butterflies. Right? Yes. When you're thinking about this game and oh you go in a game and you see this team and they're like six ten, six eight, six seven, you're like, Oh my gosh, it's so big, or you miss mm-hmm. your first shot. Yeah, all that goes into the preparation and the mental state because if you don't redirect those thought processes, you're gonna be negatively negatively thinking through the whole game. And it's hard to really reset that mental uh, those mental thought processes.
1: Yes, and think now, now when they miss that shot, the fight and flight is activated, mm. and then they go into that negative mindset, and we all know, talking negative in that moment, we're not visualizing that goal, that shot, whatever we need to do. So uh, when we then breathe in that moment, we immediately bring it down, that anxiety state. All right, so we need to make a, a distinction between panic and alertness so we don't want to go into panic state but we do want to be alert so i always tell the kids that i work with when you have that butterflies it just shows you this is important for you okay i this is imp- if a child goes on ah, oh, i don't care i don't mind i don't stress i mean is they is the game then important is it just mm-hmm. another thing to do Right, is right. this something that you love doing? It's important. Your and we didn't, shouldn't underestimate it. The kids should love the sport. They should enjoy doing it. It should be something that's important for them. And right. that's why the butterflies need to activate us. Right. But if it takes us into panic, we went into went too far. All right? right. And then that normally that is based on what the coach is saying or the parents are saying. Or then I won't be part of the team. The team will throw me out then we go into fight and flight, and that's dangerous. So, do you see how that all works with our social yeah, definitely. interaction? definitely. And our fight and flight is key to social, socially, and especially for teenagers and younger kids, between years that 10-year-olds, it's really important for them to be accepted by their teammates. Right. And it will definitely affect their performance if they feel they are not part of the team. So, it's a good right. exercise
2: to do.
0: <laughs> and you made a good, you, you call a, a terminology out where you said, um, Well, terminologies are very important because when John was talking to my son, he asked him, when you afraid in the game, when you, when you afraid someone's going to physically hurt you, are you afraid of making the mistakes? So having him separate those terminology of being afraid was a game changer, right? Because he, he, you know, he was just in the state of being afraid, but he didn't know, he didn't separate. Physical harm versus uh uh turnovers, I'm missing a bad shot. Having that separation was a huge adjustment for for the mindset.
1: For the mindset. Yes, it's so important. And it's um, important to understand the child's psyche as well. And I believe you as coaches, uh, we need to understand all the dynamics of our children, how they see and perceive the world and how they interact with the other, uh, with their peers. All right. And uh, maybe we can go to another topic or add a topic well, yeah, to that.
0: I, I will yep. right quick, but I want to just end when we're talking about that because, uh again, prior about a year ago i didn't correlate the ages and stages in the, in the cognitive development mentally when yes. it comes to kids right i think as parents as coaches this one word that's going to be that's so detrimental to success is called expectations right yes. when you take out the expectations and you handle athletes from a, from 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 not expectation, but where they are mentally and and where they can, what they can, uh, you know, can, can deal with, then it's a, it's a whole lot better approach. I think we have the expectation, oh, you just, like you say, we yell, just do that, go hard, go strong, be tough. Like those things, they don't relate to that because they're not even in that, that mindset. Yes.
1: And that caused them to be in such a fearful state. And I, I always say, even this, in I do couples counseling as well, that word expectation, any expectation we have for anybody in our social group, it's a burden for somebody else.
0: Yes, yes.
1: It's yes. always a burden. Any expectation is a burden. And when we don't meet up to that expectation, all right, it's like you're going to send me onto that field with a big knapsack a big backpack and say go and make this with this big burden on me it's really a burden so um understanding that and we and I don't think always that parents do it on purpose
2: right. no, <laughs> I we know.
1: sometimes just see the potential in our kids and we so want them to succeed um, but then it's also very important a lot of parents put their kids into the sporting environment sporting fields all right to build their self-confidence.
0: Right, right. All right?
1: And then feel like if they don't succeed, their self-confidence will lack. All right? right? And we want to build our children's self-confidence. Um, and actually what's interesting, uh, Dr. Richard Detmar, he did research on self-esteem, self-confidence for kids. And he found out that the color... Now I can't say the word. I'm so sorry. Okay. The um, The variable... The primary variable that discern if a child has a great self-esteem or not is not if they succeed at the sport, all right? Mm -hmm. This is really interesting, and this is a game changer, especially with parents that put their expectations on their kids or the coaches. Because what the variable is, is if a child or a young person, a young adult, even us as adults, if we see ourselves doing hard things, And not even necessarily succeed, but taking on hard things. That builds a person's self-esteem, not the success Mm -hmm. in itself. Mm.
0: The initiation, you want to do it, actually builds it. Yes,
1: yes, to see yourself doing hard things. And that's the thing, because if you can do hard things, you can do anything. Right. And the outcome is not, I'm successful. That's why. Now, I have seen this in my own um, coaching practice. I have this one child, um, that's a chess player. And, um, the mother keeps on putting this girl into the, goals uh, girls, um, category to play. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And she always won. She's the best. Okay. But it's easy for her to win because it's the, she's extremely clever. But she just plays against girls. But there is an open tournament where the boys and girls are mixed. Mm-hmm. But it's much harder for her to play against that and win. If She's capable. I know she is. Okay. But it's not guaranteed a win. Right. What do you think is a, how strong is that girl's self-esteem?
0: Um, I think it's pretty strong.
1: Now, we would think so. But she's actually, when I work with her on my own, she has a horrible Mm self-esteem. She doesn't believe in herself. Mm. She seems cocky and confident in front of the people because she's the winner of the goals. Mm. But she doesn't believe she can win the open tournaments. Although I think with the boys, with the
0: boys included,
1: with the boys included, it's a really interesting mind game because that confirms actually what Doctor Detmar said or in his research, that the biggest variable to build a child's self-esteem is to see himself or herself doing hard things, mm. all right? Mm. So, um, our kids need to do hard things, and then we learn from our mistakes and grow. So, I like that another acronym, if I can send you away with another one. Yes, is please. Okay? So, what does FAIL stand for? F A I Um, N, all right, fail. Ow, sorry, (laughs) F-A-I-L. It's first attempt in learning. That is what fail stands for. It's your Mm. first attempt in learning. Now, if a child fails, he learns and tries again. Learns and tries again. And that's how any person in the world becomes successful through fail. We can't become successful from, what do you learn from a win? I mean, you as a coach, you're not going to teach them anything if they want. Right. We teach when right. we learn. Uh, we learn when we fail, all right? So uh, when we uh, help our children do hard things, okay, they become more confident and say, I can do anything because I just need to learn. This is so powerful. My um, my daughter had the other day, she had an assignment from school, an uh, uh, English paper that she needed to write, mm-hmm. and they needed to write their strengths and weaknesses. Alright? So she was sitting next to me and doing her exercise and writing all her strengths, and then she came to write her weaknesses. And she was sitting there and thinking, and she said, Mom, I'm not sure what to write with weaknesses. I said, what do you mean you don't know what you need to write? She said, well, Mom, if I learn from my mistakes, first attempt in learning, nothing is a weakness. Mm. If you just practice anything and learn from your mistakes, what weakness is there I have the power to learn I mean wow Mm -hmm. what a lesson for a a young child like that I didn't thought you would get there but I was really amazed but can you see how how that builds now she wasn't cocky or anything and she's not the best in everything at school obviously not okay but she has the ability to know I can learn anything now that is through confidence that's through self esteem and
0: that's your daughter you're talking about right
1: yeah sorry that was my daughter <laughs> That was just like I noticed to and that maybe I, I, she was sitting next to me, but that's a good story. I was quite excited when I heard she said that
0: <laughs> no that's that that's great and again, the things that you're talking about it can goes from an you know a, a, just a a student or a student athlete or someone that doesn't really play sports. All these things are the triggers are are biological and it happens to everybody. I'm just yes. trying to trying to bring the correlation to Sports and athletes, mm-hmm. and how we can deal with the same type thing. Because if you're an athlete, you you're getting double whammy of all these different triggers, right? You got to deal with certain things outside of sports, and then when you get into the sports environment, it's the same thing. And I think mm-hmm. um, we don't apply the same uh, the same uh, approach to these things as we do from our personal life in our in our sporting life.
1: Yes, and actually, let's talk about that because this is the thing, okay? In life, life is uh, is made up of all kinds of principles, all right? And a principle is like uh, – um, or a principle some people use the laws. It's like the law of gravity or the principle of gravity, okay? Right, right. A principle or the principle of gravity states if um, – anyway, if I climb on the roof, if I climb in a tree or whatever I do – Gravity is always on. It's not like I wonder if it's on. That's the principle, all right? Mm-hmm. But if I understand the principle of gravity, I can make it, and gravity and all the other physics behind getting an airplane in the air, I can make an airplane fly, airplane fly even though there's gravity, okay? Mm-hmm. Now, like I said, a principle is always on. Now, like any sporting, like anxiety, we just talk. It's um, all these different principles of hard work, learning from failure, self-esteem, that can, we, we can apply that in all areas of life, like life, the same as gravity. It's always on. If we can apply it in one area of life, we're going to apply it in another area of life because it's a principle. Right. Now a child that does sports, and that's why I love people and kids doing sports, and some kids do culture things as well, like playing piano and stuff. That's the same thing. It's a principle, maybe not on the roof, but maybe now in a tree, okay? In culture, uh, maybe in choir or whatever. We we'll teach our children discipline and principles that they can apply in all areas of life, okay? So if they have self-esteem, like my daughter uh, writing the. Essay in schoolwork, she can also apply that in sports. She can also apply that in her relationships. And all of that helps us raise kids to be social competent, mm. to be sociable, adaptable, because mm. the principles apply in all our areas in life. I just think sport is actually the place where it's in your face, the principle.
0: Exactly. Exactly. So
1: one principle is like the principle, hard, easy, easy, hard. You know that principle. Can yes. I explain that principle? Yes, I love coaching please. that to our, especially to sport, sporting kids. This is my favorite principle. All right. Okay. So the principle is hard, easy, easy, hard. It states, if I choose easy now, things would be hard later. Mm-hmm. If I choose hard now, things will be easier later. Now, I always invite my kids, that I work with, to come and test. Is it really a principle? Does it apply in all areas of life? Let's check. If I choose not to exercise, show up for practice today, that's easy. Let's just play games at home and online gaming or whatever. Then the consequences later is hard. I might get kicked off the team or I'm not fit enough or whatever. If I choose the hard thing now and say I'm not playing TV games or whatever, online gaming, I'm going to practice on game day. I'm fit, healthy, and I'm part of the team. It's easier later. Mm. The same with homework. If I choose not to do homework now or study, the exams is hard. If I choose to study every day, it's hard to do that every day. It's easier later. No, the same with all things in life. I mean, you can just think about it. Budgeting, right. um, <laughs> dieting, right. uh, doing a breathing exercises. It's hard to do every day three times lazy breathing. But all those hard things that we choose now, we will have good consequence later. And for our sporting kids that does sports and athletics and stuff, this is a principle they get to deal with every day because they know they need to show up and do the hard things in practice every, every day. day. And they do get to see the results in the games or when they have meets and stuff like that. Um, and that's what makes sports my favorite <laughs> activity to teach our kids life skills. Because you are sports, teaching kids life skills.
0: Sports sports is life. And, yes. um, and Natasha, my last one is um uh, depression recovery. So you may hear this term, not, not you may hear, but we hear it all the time in sports where this Athletes in a shooting slump, right? He's been oh. averaging 20 points a game. Now he's averaging eight points a game the last three games, right? So one of, one of the things as coaches to help a player get out of a slump, we may say, Hey, go in the gym and shoot more, spend more time in the gym. But that's not really the right thing we should be telling them, right? What are some things that you would say when you're relating with, um, with, with, with people in general when it compares to, because that's what it really is. It's the it's the player is depressed in during the season because he, he is a performer. What what would your suggestions be for that?
1: Well, a quote comes to mind that I wrote down from Galileo Galilei. He says, "You cannot teach a man anything; you can only help him find it within himself." Mm. Mm. I love that because he know the, the the potential that shooting is in himself. He's just doubting that. So our job is to help him find that again. He lost it somewhere. And it's all about that self-confidence. Now, if we coach him in fail, first attempt in learning what's not helping there, we can help them to take action again. Now, one thing about coaching or life coaching is motivation always follows action. All right? Mm -hmm. Motivation is never before action, and especially a person that's depressed. Now, I work with actually truly depressed children that are diagnosed with depression. All right. And they're waiting for that motivation to take action again, to go and shoot again. Maybe they're in that slump, like you say. but the thing is, motivation only follows action. So when they ha- – so can you see they're stuck in that loop?
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and the thing is, too, like you got two types of motivation, intrinsic yeah. and extrinsic, right? In in and, yeah. and what you're saying is that when someone's in that slump, the extrinsic motivation, like come, coming from positive reinforcement, coming from your, your, your parents or the teammates yeah. or your coaches. But what you're saying is that intrinsically is what really needs to – to be uh, present in order for that to for the player to overcome that slump or depression, right?
1: Yes. So yeah, normally depression, uh, like you say, intrinsic, extrinsic. It's like internal locus of control or external locus of control. If you, now we're talking a lot of psychology. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like let's explain external locus of control. Let's use that term. All right, is when when everything is going well in my life. I'm happy. So if I make each goal, I'm happy. If the coach is happy with me and the teammates accept me, I'm happy. But when things go wrong and I miss that goal, I'm depressed. Mm. That's external. Everything outside needs to be perfect. Mm. But actually, that's normally where people are struggling with depression, all right, and get into that slump. So the way we need to help and deal with is internal locus of control. And your identity is not based on your success. All right. Your identity, my internal locus of control is I am a, ba- a basketball player. I am the, I can make shoots. All right. This is who I am. And sometimes I miss and sometimes I make it. All right. And now I'm going to keep on taking action. All right. I am a basketball player. I keep on taking action. And then the motivation will follow because the practice is going to help him. But that is that internal talk that he uh, that we need to help them with. All right. So, and this is the problem. If we're going to say you're the best or you can do it, don't worry. All right. They don't believe it because the internal voice is saying, but I didn't make it. Right. I am not enough. Right. All right. So that's where we go and sit with them and be with them in the moment, okay, where that we go and meet them where they are, all right, and then ask them. uh, I always like asking feeling questions, all right, asking them, all right, tell me a little bit more about you, how you feel. Express to me where you're at at the moment. If we would never play basketball again, what would your life look like, all right? Uh, Now, that sounds extreme for a teenager, but the thing is we start – Talking to the inner side and not getting the validation from the outside. Okay. okay. And then we, I, I've got a client. Um, I need to keep that confidential, but she, she's a professional, uh, sports, uh, sports lady. And, um, she, when she started meeting with me about three years ago, she completely lost her sports energy. Okay. She was in that slump, like you talked right. to. And the only thing that I helped and I can remember till this day, and she actually a few weeks ago said, remember that day when you told me the first day, you told me I am a racer. Mm. All right. You are, mm. I am that. And she said, in that time, I didn't even do that sport anymore. I just felt like I'm a complete failure. Wow. And she just took on that identity again and said, I am a racer. Wow. And then it started to come from the inside out. It's a bit of a journey to walk. But can you see that fail, first attempt in learning, yes. those type of talks is something that we want, especially our young sports sports um, kids, all right, to start working through that self-talk. And actually, for me, I'm always grateful for a, for a fail, for a loss, because I believe the kids in early years, when they're not the best at first, those are the kids that has a much stronger emotional intelligence and much higher performers later in life than the ones performing earlier because they just think it's easy. Right. It's actually hard. That principle, hard, easy, easy, hard. So let's keep our kids encouraged.
0: <laughs> no, that's that's awesome. And and, yeah. and Natasha, I'm telling you, it's, it's always great talking to you. It like our conversation can get deeper and deeper and deeper and keep going. I don't. I know we have a. um I'd love to have you on sometime again. I think we had a couple of more months, but anyway, because I want to talk about more of the psychology part of it. Cause you got the ID, the ego, mm-hmm. the super ego, right? Those mm-hmm. I'm learning about and I'm applying this. It's, it's, I mean, I'm, I'm going in a rabbit hole so fast and it's so exciting, but I want to kind of for my fans and audience to relate those psych psych, psych the psychology approach to sports. Mm-hmm. It's, it's so important
1: yes definitely and we can talk a little bit about I'm thinking now you're getting me excited about <laughs> setting goals and not goals and there's such cool things that we can help our kids with uh, and even our parents I know when I talked to I was a sports lady when I was at school in school as right. well and I, well we our kids have so much tools with the psychology and coaching behind them that our parents didn't know when we were young and right. we can actually help our kids uh, so much more powerfully into succeed in all areas in life. Life and be well-rounded in their relationships in the professional working environment one day and as an athlete in all areas of life when we help them with the psychology behind their sporting activities as well i like what you do
2: thank <laughs> you
0: so yeah we're gonna play we're gonna get you on again before doing this season i, I guarantee because i want to talk about some other stuff that go you know to carry on too um, yes
1: fantastic let's do that <laughs>
0: let's do that All right. Well, thank you so much for your time and and also being patient with us getting together as well.
1: Well, thank you for inviting me again. I appreciate
0: it. Yes, ma'am. Well, you have a good day now. I'll reach out to you soon.
1: Yes, we'll chat again. Have a good day. (laughs) You too. Bye-bye.
0: So there it goes, guys. Another one in the books. We want to thank Natasha for coming out and giving us her wealth of wisdom about these topics. It's very important that athletes um, think about the different approaches when preparing for for their games or just adversity in life all right we'll
2: be right back what Jamel is doing with today 's foundation, and the approach he 's taking to help develop young athletes. First of all, getting them prepared from the academic standpoint, which as you know as well as I do, Bobby, that's the most important element to try to get them to eat healthy, to be able to train properly, to get the proper education, and then hopefully for those who are talented enough to have a chance to move on to perhaps even get a free education by going off to college. But I love what Jermell is doing. It's a wonderful program. Hopefully more people in the community will get behind it and some of the businesses involved as well to help sponsor this program. Because these are the kind of things that every community needs, looking out for the best interest of the youth. The future of this country is in our youth. And everything that we can do to help prepare them better for that is absolutely wonderful. And, and I can't express Adequately enough, my admiration and respect for what Jamel is doing and hopefully he'll get a lot of help from a lot of people.
0: You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Jamel President and on Twitter at President Jamel. Make sure to subscribe to this podcast as I'll be bringing you a new interview every month.